chapter 2, verses 8 through 21 says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Everybody shout fear. fear. Come on, everybody shout fear. fear. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I love this kind of juxtaposed look that we get. They're, they're filled with great fear, and then an angel says to them, fear not. How many of you find that as kind of a little bit of a conundrum? First, there's an angel talking. Why would I not be afraid, all right? And so there's this kind of weird balance that's happening, but, but the message is simply this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, in other words, they're having a worship service all of a sudden, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see what this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. At the end of eight days, he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This morning, as we continue on in our series, A Way in a Manger, I want to speak to you from the subject, A Way to Joy. A Way to Joy, as we look at our way to joy being found in the advent of Jesus. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to change us from the inside out. God, this morning, I pray that we would leave here different. I don't know what we're facing. I don't know the circumstances or the situations, God, but I know that there's stuff happening in all of our lives. And I pray this morning that your word would encourage us, it would equip us, it would challenge us, it would help us live the life that you've called us to live. And more importantly, God, I pray that we would understand joy at a new level. That we understand what joy truly is and how it works in our lives. I thank you for this moment, this time that we've had together so far, God. I pray that you would bless, bless every single person in here as we dig into your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Show of hands, how many of you have ever had a bad day before? Come on, bad day. Show of hands, raise it high. Just, I want everybody to look around. Raise your hand, look at, hey, we're all the same. Awesome. Bad days happen, don't they? Like, show of hands, how many of you had, like, on, on a scale of 1 to 10, like, level 10, DEFCON 10, bad day before? Like, just everything seems to go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. We've all had those days. Bad days. They come, they, they go. I, I try, to, try to think back on my bad days, not too much, but those days where just nothing seems to work. You're cranky, right? You get up on the wrong side of the bed, so you're cranky, and then your family incurs the wrath of your crankiness. Come on. Have you ever, you ever been there before, right? And then as you're cranky and the family's incurring the wrath of crankiness, you go to get the coffee. Maybe coffee will help, right? And you go to the coffee and the Keurig doesn't work, or at least that's how ours likes to play, all right? 
And then so, well, I've got to go to Starbucks. And you go to Starbucks and they get your order wrong. And then you go to your work because now your order's wrong and you're cranky with your boss, so you're fired. And life just gets bad, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but we've all had bad days. You ever had a bad week? Right? We giggle less because then it gets deeper, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're like, yeah, actually, I have it. You ever had a bad month? You ever had a bad year? You look back on the year and you go, that year was horrible. Man, you ever met the person who's excited to get out of the, the last year? Like January 1st, they, they have like a celebration service, right? They praise Jesus like they've never praised Jesus before, right? The neighbor sitting next to him in the seat is like, I've never seen you worship like this. And they're like, it's 2017, yes. We've had bad mo- days, bad weeks, bad months, bad, bad years. I know for some of us this morning, this is one of those years. It's one of those moments. And the fact that I'm talking about the issue of joy this morning frustrates you because, well, joy is not something you want to deal with right now. How can I have joy in the, sit, in, in, the, in the midst of this circumstance? How can I have joy during this season? I don't have this. I don't have that. My, my life isn't going the way that, that, I, that I wanted to or thought I was going to go. How can I have joy? Joy is one of the central messages, central themes when it comes to the advent of Jesus. See, the reality is is that most of us are going to have one or two bad days. Maybe weeks, maybe months, even years. The question is this. Can we have joy in the midst of it? Joy is probably one of my most favorite topics to preach on. If you've been around the well for any length of time, you will have heard a message about joy at some point or another. Why? Because joy is such a vital part in our relationship with God, and it's such a vital aspect to our life. Joy is actually very connected to Jesus. Jesus in our life equates joy in our life. Come on, somebody. Jesus in our life creates and equates to joy. In our lives, Jesus was very clear when he said that we would face trials in life, that we'd have days, months, years that could easily be defined as bad. We would face those days because we live in a broken world, and daily we're subject to that brokenness. We would face those days because there is a real enemy who really wants to mess with your life. John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11 says this. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd love for you to write it down. It'll be on the screen. It says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But notice what Jesus came to do. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's good news right there. Let's go back to what the angel said. I came to give you good news of great joy. That's for all people. Come on, how many of you like some good news in life? I love, I love hearing good news. But the fact is that this is the life that we have to deal with. What are the reason we're going to face difficult days? Days that are not the best, days that we will wish never happened, or days that, well, we'll look back on and wish we could just make them disappear. Yet there is a great deal of importance in developing right attitudes, mindsets, and understandings about difficult days, difficult months, difficult years. Jesus said we would have difficult days, but he also said that he would be our joy in the midst of those difficult days. 
Now, if you missed last week's message, we, I, I want to encourage you. All the information that you saw in the preview this morning, messages, everything like that, we're encouraging everybody, get online, go to our website. You can get everything there. But we kind of talked about the atmosphere that Jesus was coming into. One author and writer, Philip Yancey, put it this way. Jesus' advent was entering into a culture in a time that could be equated and look much like the 1930s underneath the rule and the regime of Stalin in Russia. That's a hard place to come into to live, right? That's a difficult situation. And this angel shows up on the scene to some shepherds who by cultural standards were seen as dirty and unclean, low lives. The angels, God, decides to appear to these shepherds and say, hey, I got some good news coming your way. Headline, Jesus is about to show up. Good news of great joy. That's for all people. And the fact of the matter is this, is that Jesus' will for our lives, if you've ever wondered what the will of God is for your life, it's a question that I've had directed at me many times. How do I figure out the will of God? Well, first I would say, pick up his word. It's a good place to start. But one of the the things that that God has for you is he wants you to experience joy. Come on, everybody shout joy this morning. Come on, say joy like you're joyful. Joy. Joy, there we go. So let's talk about a few misconceptions. I think it's important that we deal with misconceptions before we deal with truths, right? So we can kind of balance these things against each other. And and as we look at them, we go, okay, that that makes sense. So I want to deal with some misconceptions. This is how we're going to roll this morning. Three misconceptions about joy, and then we're going to talk about three truths of joy. Six points this morning. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but we're going to make it happen. All right, my wife always shirks at me when she's like, you have six points, and you talk a lot. All right, misconception number one is this. Joy is only found in the absence of suffering. Misconception number one. Joy is only found in the absence of suffering. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? Our joy is anchored in the promise of God. Take heart, I have overcome the The world, joy is about the arrival of a savior, not the absence of suffering. Did you hear that this morning? Joy is about the arrival of a savior, not the absence of suffering. But a lot of us take the savior out of the equation and we just want the suffering to go away. But I I want us to grab a hold of this because this will change the way that you do life. This will change the way that you view everything. Joy is about the arrival of a savior in my situation. The arrival of a savior in my life. The fact that my eternity is secured because of Jesus, not because suffering is absent in my life. So the first misconception that we have about joy is that joy is only found in the absence of suffering. If everything's going good, then I have joy. Notice Jesus doesn't say in the world, You'll have tribulation, but take heart. I'll remove that tribulation from you. It's actually not his promise. His promise is is that he would and has overcome it. So joy is about the arrival of a Savior, not the absence of suffering. I read this quote the other day, and I think it speaks very clearly to this issue. Sometimes God calms the storm, but many times his purpose is to actually calm the sailor. 
So we're sailing, we're navigating the waters of life and a storm comes and a situation comes and we're shouting, God, calm the storm, take the storm away, please stop the wind and the waves and God's answer is never seen and we're frustrated because we're praying the wrong prayer. Maybe it should be God, calm the sailor. Anchor me. Let me have joy in the midst of my storm. Let me have joy in the midst of my suffering. And, the, and, and this is something we don't talk about, church. Come on. Christians don't talk about this very often, suffering. Because who wants to show up to a 12-week series on suffering? Right? Hey, guys, invite your friends. Invite everybody. Next week, suffering, part one. We don't do that. Dude, you got to come to my church. Here's the invite card. Suffering, right? In big, bold letters. Mike's like, hey, you want to come? Like, we're talking about suffering. It's 12 weeks of depression. <laughs> no. We don't talk about these things, but we need to. But, but the hook in it is this, that in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of the situation, I have joy. I have joy. So first misconception is this, is that joy is the absence of suffering. Misconception, misconception number two is this. Joy is only found in receiving. Right? Joy is only found in receiving. How many of you love getting gifts? Come on, be honest. No judgment. So there's like 100 plus of you that are like, no, I don't like getting gifts. Let's try this again. How many of you like receiving gifts of some sort or another? Okay. Most of us do. Most of us like new things. We like receiving things. There's joy in receiving. My wife loves to give gifts and get gifts. She loves it. She got her shopping done early because she's pumped about giving gifts, but she's also throwing all kinds of text messages to me about what she wants. Because there's an equal proportion of I like to get gifts, right? We all like to receive. My kids love to receive things. Whenever anybody's gone on a vacation of some sort, the first question is not, hi, how are you? I love you. I've missed you. It's, what'd you get me? Right? <laughs> what'd you get me? Nothing. A smile. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> we love receiving. But the fact of the matter is this, is that actual joy is found in giving. And I know this word gets really challenging for us, especially in church, because we don't like the, the connotation of, of giving. You mean God wants me to give of myself? Yeah, newsflash, God wants, to give, wants you to give of everything that you are. We're not just talking about finances. We're talking about time. We're talking about treasure. We're talking about talent. We're talking about a smile. You want to talk about changing an atmosphere? I love what Seth was saying this morning. Have you ever noticed that you can change an atmosphere by what you give? By what you give of yourself, by what you, of everything that we are. Why? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, everything that we give has first been a gift. And so we receive this gift, we give this gift. But most of us in the culture that we live in, the misconception is joy is only found in receiving. So we become very self-centered in, in nature. God gave his one and only son, Jesus, that we may have life. It's the greatest gift ever given. problem is, is when we believe in reception-based joy, we inherently believe that God's sole purpose in our life is to be this conduit of stuff. But what we're supposed to know and realize and understand is that God has actually called us to be the conduit to the world around us. To give. 
and find joy in that. I love this church. This is a generous church. The tags are gone. This year, great amounts of finance and resource will have been given away by the time we get to the end of this month. We're going to talk about those numbers at the beginning of the year when we celebrate some of the great things. But the fact that you can learn to be generous, live generously, that is how we actually find joy. So the misconception about joy is that joy is only found in receiving. The third misconception is this, that joy is found in my doing. The idea is fostered with this belief, if I do this, then I will get that. It's reception-based again. But I've talked to many people as I sit in counseling moments and, 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 and talking to people about, I mean, how am I supposed to, how do I deepen my relationship with God? How do I find more joy in life? And, and it comes in this question, what must I do? You ever asked that question before? What must I do? And we're wired that way, aren't we? Like we're wired to be doers, great doers. We like to move and shift and figure out what we can do. We talked about it last week and don't hate the waiting process because I've come to learn that it's in the waiting process, actually the lack of doing, that God gives us the most deep sense of joy that we can find because joy earned by doing is not joy. Joy earned on our behalf is not joy. See, joy is not found in our performance, it's found in his presence. Come on, somebody. Joy is not found in our performance. It's found in his presence. Does that mean we don't do things? No, not at all. But if you're trying to gather a sense of joy from what it is that you do, you're missing the very place that you find joy. If you're trying to find joy in your performance, you're missing out in the fact that it's in his presence. It's not about what we do. It's about who he is. Joy is found in the presence. So these are the three misconceptions that we have about joy. Now, let's talk about three truths that we need to understand about joy. And this is where it gets fun. This is where it gets good. We get to learn about some joy. We got some joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Yeah, come on. Anybody do some flannel graph up in here? All right. So we just looked at three misconceptions about joy. Now I want to look at three truths concerning joy that we need to understand. Every shot number one for me. Come on, number one. The process of joy is just as important as the product of joy. Did you hear that this morning? The process of joy is just as important as the product of joy. A lot of scripture this morning. John 16, 16 through 24 says this. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? His disciples were constantly confused, okay? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does this mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Riddled me this, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, 
She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Gosh, this is awesome scripture right here. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full man what's Jesus saying joy is a process but we just like the product of it right we like the product of it I'm pretty sure all the ladies in the house who have given birth like in some moment or another could we have just snapped and baby right like the nine months that was kind of crazy of waiting and, and pain and and Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Spoken like a true man. <laughs> but that's the issue. We hate process for the most part. Right? Seth had to put on New Breed the other day because of the process of Wi-Fi. <laughs> it was a difficult situation to go through process Child labor, the bearing of a child. Jesus is saying, look, there's, there's a process here. And you go through anguish, you go through pain, you go through all, but it's all gone at the moment the baby's delivered. At the moment the product is there. But what we have to understand is that Jesus is teaching this piece of scripture because he's saying we got to get comfortable with the process of joy. Because there's going to be moments where you may not feel the joy. You may not have the product of joy that you're looking for, but it's a process. And there will be a point where you look back and you forget about all the stuff because I have joy. And joy to the fullest. Let me ask you this question. Write it down if you're taking notes this morning because I think it's an important one. Where are you at in your process? What process are you going through? What process does Jesus have you in right now? See, most people are about the product or the end result. But joy is not just a product. It's a process. Number two, every shot number two for me. The second truth we need to understand this morning is this. I love this one. The proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. Let me say that one more time. The proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. See, every moment that you read about joy in the Bible, many times it is soon followed up with the action item, rejoice. Have joy, rejoice. Have joy, rejoice. There's a, rejoice, right? I've got joy, now rejoice. There's an action to it. But a lot of us, believers say we have joy, but there's no action to our joy. There's no proclamation of our joy. In other words, the cadence of our faith should be possession of joy, proclamation of joy. Possession of joy, proclamation of joy. Why? Because it's the proclamation that defines ownership of that which we possess. 
See, it's one thing to believe that I have joy. It's another thing to proclaim that I have joy. It's one thing to believe that there's a joy that resides in me in the midst of my storm. But there's another thing going on when in the midst of my storm, I can say, I have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's a proclamation that says to my storm, you may come against me, storm, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will stand here and I will be glad and I will rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will stand and rejoice and I proclaim that in Jesus name it's a proclamation see it's one thing to have something it's another thing to use that something see the proclamation of our joy is God's way of solidifying and anchoring the possession of that joy in our lives listen joy is not joy until we proclaim it that's not my personality Jesus doesn't care I'm just saying. Like, I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning, but it's the truth. Ah, it's, you know, just, I'm, I'm, that's, not, that's not me. He doesn't care. I love how the angels broke into, like, Tourette-style worship all of a sudden, right? We bring you good news of great joy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they break out singing. They couldn't help it because where there's possession of joy, there has to be proclamation of joy. They go together. Joy is not joy until we proclaim it. Proclamation is ownership over the gift and possession of joy. All right? Even the angels couldn't help but rejoice. Couldn't, they, they couldn't help but go into the action item of their joy. Jesus understood this power. Watch this. Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19. This is what Jesus says. All the prophecies concerning Jesus. We talked a little bit about that last week. Jesus is born. He comes. He starts to grow. Luke 2.52 says he grows in wisdom and stature. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in Luke 4.18. That's a really quick fast forward. And this is what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and receiving of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's about proclamation. The proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. Oh, to have a church that would proclaim some joy in the world that we live in. Right, But I see so many Christ followers, so many churches not proclaiming joy, but proclaiming quite the opposite. And we wonder where the issue lies. We're proclaiming negative. We're proclaiming blame. We're proclaiming frustration. But man, what if we start joy, unspeakable, high note joy? <laughs> I had to lift the leg there. <laughs> That's why we sing that. That's why we say, I love this song. I was telling the team this morning, I love this song. I get geeked on this song because I just enjoy it. It just gets me fired up. Why? Because we're proclaiming joy. Listen, some of you, oh, that's just name it and claim it stuff. That's like positive thinking. Uh-uh. See, we have to proclaim what we possess. This isn't about speaking something to, into existence. It's about speaking what already exists. I'm not speaking anything into existence. I don't have the power of that type of creation. Only God's word said, let there be light. Let the waters and the land part from each other. Let there be animals. Let there be cows for steak. Let there be. 
He's the only one that said, let there be man, let there be woman. He breathed breath. The very world, space, everything is held together but by his word. I don't have the power like that. But what I do have the power is to speak what already exists. And that is joy, that is down deep, that wells up in my soul because I know he is faithful to complete his promises. Joy to the world. You having fun this morning? Okay. I'm going to ask the team to come up. Number three, every shot, number three. This is probably the most important one, is this. The person of joy is just as important as the power of joy. The person of joy is just as, is just as important as the power of joy. See, Jesus is the person of joy. He personifies joy. Without the person of Jesus, we lose the power of joy. Did you hear me this morning? Without the person of Jesus, we lose the power of joy. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of joy. Joy fulfilled. Without him, we run the risk of finding joy through synthetic means. See, joy in and of itself has no power. But joy that comes from Jesus is the most powerful. The gospel message, here's a quote I read the other day, does not center in a philosophy a doctrine, or a religious system. It centers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is its anchor point. It is its fulcrum. Jesus is the center. You know that little turkey that you put in the middle of the table? It's the centerpiece at Thanksgiving. Nobody really cares about the mashed potatoes and the beans. Some of you do because you just love carbs. But at the end of the day, when the turkey comes out, the thing that's been Basting, marinating, cooking for hours. It's the crown jewel of the feast. And whoever's presenting it comes out and it's placed in the middle of the table. It's placed center of, of everything. And that is Jesus. Some of you are like, right now, did he just compare Jesus to a turkey? <laughs> yes, I did. Theology 101, turkeys and Jesus. <laughs> but God in heaven, Father God, watch the earth, this creation, break down, become marred and busted and dark because an enemy had filtrated it and he'd spoken lies and whispered half-truths. And this beautiful creation that God's intended plan and purpose was to live in perfect harmony with him was now broken, was now distance. And Jesus had been waiting in the wings all along in this kind of state of waiting, this state of marination. And, and at this certain point, at this certain time in history, God decides now is the time to unveil my crown jewel. Now is the time to give them the fullness of everything that they need. Now is the time to give them a perfect gift. And it's in Jesus that they will find peace. It's in Jesus that they will find hope. It's in Jesus that they will find joy. It is in Jesus that they will experience the fullness of everything that I am. God incarnate God in flesh the advent Jesus the center of it all the center of it all 
The person of joy is just as important as the power of joy. There is no power in joy unless it's anchored in Jesus. It's synthetic. It comes, it goes. But Jesus... You do not really preach the gospel, one author said, if you leave Christ out, if he is omitted, it is not the gospel. You may invite men to listen to your message, but you are only inviting them to gaze upon an empty table unless Christ is the very center and substance of all that you set before them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul, the apostle, says it like this, and I close. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Who is the author? What is the author of your joy this morning? My prayer is that in and through Jesus, we will experience fullness of joy. Joy unspeakable joy rising in my soul. I know this morning that for some of us it's a hard truth to grasp. But my prayer is this, that we would allow Jesus to be our joy in the world that we live, to anchor us and to solidify us. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet?